choir. Thank you. Uh, loving to tell the story, the wondrous story of Jesus and his love. The story of all the different facets of Jesus the choir just lifted for us. The story of how that life impacts our lives, which Lady Gentry lifted for us. How we go into that prayer and invite Jesus into a deeper way into our own story so that the faith story is our story. Last week, we finished with the Hebrew scripture, Enter the Story study we've been doing since January. Do y'all remember that? Long story of people of faith learning and growing. And, and we, we put it in the context of what it means to start with baby steps and to grow up some and to grow up some more and grow up some more and how faith keeps growing each and every step of the way if we allow God to be in our lives and if we keep moving forward in our lives and don't get stuck. A lot of times we get stuck, sometimes for decades. But I showed you a little rainbow pyramid from Kohlberg, which was theory about moral development, how you start just trying to avoid being punished, right, in life, just avoid being punished. Until at the end, the most morally developed people are those who do the right thing regardless of punishment, regardless of what the consequences are. And all of us are somewhere in between those places. Some mornings we wake up and we're just trying to avoid something bad happening. And other mornings we're getting up and we say, I'm going to do the right thing. And I know it's going to cost me this. But I'm going to get up and I'm going to do the right thing. And so that faith story we had from uh, the Hebrew Testament continues into the Christian Testament. Because it is leading us into the story in the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is a prophet of a tradition, and more than that. But at the end of that story, we heard about the two lines of thinking, the legalism, the line of thinking that had to do with, if I'm better, if I follow the law, then nothing bad will happen to me. And the line that said, God is with us in everything, bad and good and in between. And be careful what you label bad, because God is in everything. Jesus is of that line of teachers. And we find that continuing into our Christian Testament, both those ways of thinking continue into our New Testament. And don't we just love stories and telling stories? You know? And hopefully they're good stories. Hopefully they have a purpose. Hopefully they get somewhere and don't just meander around and never get anywhere and just kind of say, what was he talking about? I'm afraid of that every Sunday I get up here. <laughs> You're not going to go home and say, well, what was he talking about? I got to be here on Friday night for the marriage plays. I don't know if you've seen it yet or not, but I encourage you to come by and see it because it's eight little plays together of people's stories of love, people's stories of life and what it means to get married, to not get married, what it means that it's legal in some places and not in others. And there are these wonderful stories of both hurt and pain and joy and celebration. And they're getting told every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in our sanctuary for people to come and listen and hear to what those stories are about. And they don't all agree. We learned that too from this last January through August enter the story is they don't always agree with one another, but God is still with them in those places and in those stories. Powerfully so, powerfully so. So in the Christian Testament, I just want to look at this as we look at Jesus. How is it developed and what was going on uh, in the first century of Christianity that got what we're looking at today? Because some people make a mistake I say, I'm a Christian. I don't need all of that Old Testament stuff. 
And I'm here to tell you today that if you don't need any of that Old Testament stuff, then you don't understand Jesus. Because everything Jesus did and said is fed on the life and the love and the people of who he was a part. And all of the parables have a deeper meaning when you know the full story. It's like someone coming in and telling you the last five minutes of their life and expecting you to guess the first 40 years. You know, we have to know the whole story to know what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus was a storyteller, right? You ask him a question, what do you do? Tell you a story. And then what would happen after he told you a story? You had to figure it out. <laughs> Don't you love teachers like that? What am I supposed to do? Well, here's a story. Go home and figure it out. Oh, goodness. Some of our most successful churches today are churches that just tell you what to do. And I would tell you that those same churches keep you at a lower level of moral development. Because they're allowing you not to take responsibility for yourself, for your faith journey, for your own accountability of what it means to be a people of God. And so, like Jesus, we want to hear the story and to figure it out. Because that's going to help us grow to a different place in faith. So let's look at some of these stories. Some, we know their names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, those are some of the stories that we grew up with in faith. You know, books of the Bible. And within those books, we hear the story of Jesus, the wondrous story of Jesus. And I'm going to ask us to look at this slide up here because when I was in college, there was a chart that I used to carry around with me. Someone had gone through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and where the same verse was in more than one Gospel, they had highlighted it one color. Where it was in all three Gospels, they had highlighted it another color. Okay, where it was in just one, another color, and so forth. So it was this chart. I would open this book and I would fold it out. It was like nine pages pasted together. Nice and colorful. What, were the, what was common to the scripture stories and what was unique in the scripture stories? And uh, do we have that chart up there that y'all can show on screen? And that, doesn't that make sense to you? This is the story of Jesus. Okay, well, if you look at the middle section, that's the Gospel of Mark. And when you see the green in that section, that is the only thing that's found in the Gospel of Mark that's not found somewhere else. You see much green in the Gospel of Mark? The other two Gospel writers use 98% of what Mark wrote. Mark came first. Mark probably came 65 to 75, was the first gospel that was written. It's the shortest gospel. It doesn't have any birth stories. It doesn't have any appearance stories after resurrection. Mark's about a Jesus of action. Jesus is a healer. Jesus is a miracle worker. Jesus is a teacher. Mark is that gospel writer. And so when you hear the stories about healing and miracles and the other gospels, typically they've come from Mark. And they've used the stories of Mark in their gospel writing. Now, if you look to the uh, side that looks more pink, that's the Gospel of Matthew. And that's red for Gospel of Matthew is when that's not in any of the other stories, but it's only in Matthew is red. So when you look at that, you can see some more red, then you can see green over there, right? Okay? And when you see the mottled colors, it means it was in two. And when you see the black, it means it was in all three of the Gospel stories. So when you see the black up there, it's in all three of the gospel stories. And I'm telling you this for a reason. We're getting there. 
So in Matthew, when you see the red, that's only his material. And when scholars looked at it, Matthew was talking to mostly the Hebrew people, this gospel was. And when they're talking about Jesus, they're talking in a way that the Hebrew people could understand. The people who knew all the stories, okay? Matthew's writing to the people who knew all the stories about who Jesus was. And so when you look at this gospel of Matthew, and they're telling the story of Jesus, when you look at the sections that are only read, it's divided into five sections. And that's interesting because there are five books of the Torah, and so if you were Jewish people reading this and you saw five books of teaching that Jesus did, that's going to remind you of the five books of the Torah. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything you've looked for. Jesus is fulfilling all the law, all the story that you have had so far in Jesus' way. So when you look at that left, that column that's red, that's the part that's uniquely Matthew. And when you read uniquely Matthew, it's fun to do because it's all about law. Matthew's really the person who likes the law a lot. So if you're a legalist, you know, and you're looking for something, we read part of it this morning, not one bit of this is going to pass away. You know, find yourself in Matthew. You're right. It's all important. Every bit. Every bit is important. Nothing will pass away. Okay, so you'll find yourself in Matthew. If you're that person of action, you're going to find yourself in Mark. Let's heal, let's do, let's perform a miracle. Now, if you're neither of those, more so, you know, you might find yourself in the book of Luke. When you look at Luke on the other side, those blue sections are what's common to Luke and nowhere else. You know? And so in those sections, if you read those by themselves, what you'll find out about Luke is Luke's people were not Jewish. Luke is the gospel for those who didn't know all the stories. So in Luke's blue sections, you get stories of Samaritans, you get stories of women. You get stories of new people coming into the church. You get stories of people that aren't like everyone else being accepted. You get the stories that aren't in Matthew or Mark, but are important to us as people of faith. The Good Samaritan story. The Prodigal Son story. These are stories of Luke, that if we didn't have Luke, we would miss them. I have to tell you, Luke is one of my favorites. Now, Luke and Matthew are what I consider the two sides of the coin, law and prophets. Matthew is the law. Luke is the spirit of the prophets. When you read Matthew, Jesus is the new and the greater Moses because that's who was the greatest Old Testament character for the people of Matthew was Moses. Brought him out. So Jesus is the new and greater Moses. When you read Elijah... I mean, not Elijah, punchline. When you read Luke, Jesus is the new and greater Elijah. The prophet who brought down fire, the prophet who ascended, the prophet who went to people beyond the Jewish people. Uh, Jesus is the new and greater Elijah. So why is this important when we're reading our Bible? Sometimes today, when we talk about what we believe about Jesus, we talk about there's being one way to believe in Jesus and usually that one way is my way to believe in Jesus and you're listening to people talking pretty legalistically and you say you don't know Jesus well go read Matthew with them there's other people reading another way where they're welcoming everybody and you say those sinners don't belong in here well go read Luke with them 
And if you say, I just want peacefulness, I don't like those people who are all political and action-oriented, well, go, go read Mark with them and read about a Jesus who changes the world in action. Now, who's not up there? Gospel of John, right? Well, he had more time to think about Jesus Mark was written 65, 70. Matthew and Luke was probably written about 90, 95. Mark was pro- uh, John was written probably around 110. He had more time to think about Jesus, so his gospel's longer. And Jesus doesn't have a one-year ministry like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus has a three-year ministry, so they can't even put John beside these because it's such a different view of who Jesus is. But what does it mean to us as a people of God that all of those stories of Jesus are kept. Every single one of them is side by side in the gospel. My view of Jesus doesn't negate your view of Jesus. My view of Jesus exists right alongside your view of Jesus. That's a powerful, important message, and it's right there in our scripture, and we better not forget it. We just can't forget it, otherwise we start beating people up with the Bible because our view is the right view. Now, Jesus said, I am the fulfillment of this. I'll tell you what, fulfillment is an interesting word. Fulfillment. Oh, my. Have you ever been fulfilled in your life? Somehow things shift and change and transform when you're fulfilled. In other words, the words on the page you thought you knew mean something different. I am the fulfillment Perhaps the legalists and the inclusionists and the activists and the ones who've been thinking too long all get to find a new way of being together. I am the fulfillment of this. The law is important, but I'm going to transform the law. And let me tell you some of what's important about that. Who I am. And I'll tell it to you in stories so that you have to figure it out. When my littlest sister, who's 20 years younger than me, was at Texas A&M, her first semester, uh, she was one of those bonfire builders. If you've ever been to Texas A&M for one of those things, which means she partied too hard, and they build a big fire, and they look at it. And so... (laughs) You might say they like Elijah, the prophet of fire. But in any case... One of those times in her life where she'd been in that, sesh, um, that place and she asked me to come visit, so I drove up to visit her and we were having lunch at Chili's over on the freeway. And she kept asking me to help her solve this problem and what she wanted me to do, she's 19 years old, what she wanted me to do was to tell her what to do. She said, Troy, what's right and what's wrong and tell me what I'm supposed to do. And I'd gotten a little bit better than when I was judging my other sister from last week. Y'all remember that story, right? I was 20 then. I got a little bit better. Now I'm 38. And so I'm sitting there and I'm talking with her. And she says, I want to know what to do. And so I tell her some stories. And she says, that's not helping. (laughs) So I say, well, we believe some things real importantly. And we believe that you need to check out the scripture and see what it says. We believe you need to look at what the church is saying about this. We believe you need to look at your heart and what your experience says about it. Right? And we, need, and we believe you need to use your mind. And she looked at me and she said, Troy, 
You mean we don't believe anything? Oh, we believe this very deeply. Use your heart, use your mind, use the Bible, and use what you've learned in your faith. We believe this very, very deeply, but what it means is that at the end of doing all that, we may come up with different solutions to it because God's speaking to us in different ways. And Christy was very dissatisfied. I'm going to stop being Methodist. I'm going to go be Baptist. They're going to tell me what to do. We are a people of faith and we're on a journey and God asks us to keep growing. God asks us to not put anything between God and us. Not a person, not a teaching, not even the scripture. Use all of it, use all of it. And I would suggest that we actually look at scripture the way Jesus did and use it the way Jesus did. And I have a friend and scholar, her name's Cheryl Anderson. She's a professor of theology and she and I worked together on some projects in Africa. And if you put up Cheryl's picture, she's a beautiful woman and she wrote this book called Ancient Law and Contemporary Controversies. Ancient Law and Contemporary Controversies. And what do they have to do with each other? And she said, well, they tell us how Jesus looked at Scripture. And if we're going to look at be Christians, why don't we try to do what Jesus did with Scripture? Fulfilling the Law and the Prophets. And so she said Jesus did three things when you look at Scripture. And one of the first things Jesus did in looking at Scripture was, the next slide, if you'll put it up there, was Jesus... They're listening to me, I can tell. It's not wheat. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus considers the impact of the marginalized. Whatever you interpret the scripture to be, one of the first things Jesus does when he's looking at the Hebrew scripture, when he's looking at the scripture of his faith, he says, what does this mean for those who are marginalized? And here's an example of it. Then he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting commandments of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must surely die. But you say that if anyone tells father or mother, whatever support you might have had from me is cordon, that is an offering to God, then you no longer permit doing anything for father or mother, thus making void the word of God through your tradition that you have handed on and you do many things like this. So Jesus is saying, you know what? This is what our tradition says and you know what? You're not doing it. You've made up your own rules that you think are so important like how to dress to go to church on Sunday morning, you know, whatever those rules are. And you're following those rules instead of the basic rules. It says honor your father and mother, but you've provided yourself a way to disregard it altogether. So when Jesus looked at scripture, he looked at how it impacted the marginalized, how it impacted those who would be affected and harmed the most by whatever you were doing. And so this is an example of just a simple one of how people were treating their families in that time. And the second thing Jesus did when he looked at scripture, and, and he, he had a, a way of being able to say, and I'm looking for the slide so I can read it from the slide, <laughs> Jesus' new interpretation is always grounded on the tradition. So whenever Jesus fulfilled the law by changing it 
and transformation and making it more loving, Jesus grounded it in what the law was supposed to be about. Hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain out a grain, but swallow a camel. Ooh. Now she read further and go on, and you are nothing more than whitewashed tombs. You know, Jesus had a way with words, you think? When he wasn't telling stories, he was saying something about the deeper law. He was saying something about the deeper law, and it was always grounded in the faith tradition. It wasn't apart from it. It's always been there. We always had to discover it again and again and again that God's calling us into that love. So then Jesus lifts up what he believes and what he says for us is the essential value of all of it. The law and the prophets, everything, everything rests on this. Everything rests on this mirror to look at the scripture through. If you're looking at scripture and you're not using this, watch out. You may have lost your way. You may be paying attention to a little verse and losing the meaning of the whole. And so in this last thing that Jesus did with scripture is Jesus always, always identified that the absolute requirement of God was love. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest, he said to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. So here we are today. All of this that we've been studying leads us back to Jesus. And Jesus tells us everything hangs on this. Love God and love neighbor. You may be following all these other things, but they don't matter if you're not loving God and loving neighbor. Tell the story. Tell the story of how you know love. When Walter and I have been going around meeting you, we've asked, how did you fall in love with Resurrection Church? And if you're in a relationship, we've asked you, how did you know you were in love with each other? People have stories to tell. And we want to encourage you to keep telling those stories. And at the same time, challenge yourself to hear this vision of what Scripture is about, what Jesus is about. I come to fulfill the law, fulfill it and transform it by its core which is love. It's core, which is love. And you may want me to give you a direct answer about this, and what I'm going to tell you is a story. And what you're going to have to do is find out what that love means for you yourself. And in so doing, you will find Jesus anew. Thanks be to God. Amen.
And so, people of God, as we breathe in and we breathe out the very breath of God, let the word sit on your hearts and on your minds and on your very being. And now take a few moments just to reflect and hear what Spirit is saying to you. And so it is. Amen.